This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. I'm assuming, well, maybe not. You never assume, right? But I'm assuming that there are some of you out there who are as ticked off today as I am, as absolutely, I don't even know what the word is, agitated. Is agitated a good word? About Kathleen Wynne and what the provincial liberals did today with hydro. And some of you, I know, some of you are saying, no, no, it was okay. It was okay. Cause we're, we're going to pay less in hydro now. So our bills are going to go down. This plan that you heard read live on Bill Kelly's show this morning, this plan that the Ontario liberals have put in is the most nakedly, transparently dishonest, unfair, pass the buck piece of poop that we've ever had handed down to us. And that's saying something. This is an absolute disgrace that this is being foisted on the province by a government that sees its poll numbers plummeting, cratering, and decides it's got to do something in the real short term to try and turn itself around. This is not, don't, do not believe for one millisecond that the Ontario government cares about your hydro bills. They could not care less. They have... If there were 10,000 things that they could possibly care about in the world, this would be number 10,001. They do not care about your hydro bills. What they care about is the fact that you as a voter are angry because your hydro bills have gone through the roof and you probably will not vote for them as a result. That's what they care about. Anything that they would tell you otherwise is a complete fallacy. So they're desperate. They're absolutely desperate because, again, their poll numbers are going right through the floor. They are as unpopular as any government we've probably ever seen in this province. And they're thinking, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We've got to turn this around because we can't go into the next election with everybody this angry at us. And so what they came up with as their plan, and I hope you were following this today. You may have listened to this. You may have read something about it. You may have seen it on TV. But I hope you have put two and two together by now. I hope you've given this a little bit of thought. Because what they've done is delay the costs. They've given you a break right now by pushing down the road much, 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 much bigger costs. We are going to, in this province, pay a lot more money down the road because they want to buy your vote today. This is no different. This is absolutely no different then you hold, holding a mortgage. What they've done, essentially, let me, let me back up just in case people, in case there's two people out there who didn't know what happened today. The Ontario government has renegotiated some deals with, with contracts, renegotiated some contracts for hydro that have extended the life of those deals so that right now you have to pay less, but you're going to be paying it for a lot longer. Well, if you have ever signed a mortgage, if you've ever borrowed money, if you've ever signed a car loan, you'll know that the longer your loan is, your mortgage, your car loan, your line of credit, whatever it is, the longer it is, the less you pay each payment. But there's a reason that the banks and the lending companies let you do that. It's not because they're generous people who just want you to have a good life and they're filled with philanthropy. The reason lending companies and banks let you extend your loan much, much longer is because the longer it goes, the more interest you pay. So in the end, if you have a 20-year mortgage at 
let's say, whatever it is. If you have a 20-year mortgage at 4%, you're paying X dollars. If you have a 25-year mortgage at 4%, yeah, you pay a little less each time because your principal is less because it's been broken into more payments. But over time, the amount that you're going to pay is 10 or 12% higher. Then if you go from 20 to 30-year mortgage, you're going to probably pay an extra 25%. That's what the Ontario government has done today. They have basically allowed you to spread out the payments. So each of your payments is going to be shorter, but the money this province owes, this, the money this province that is desperately, uncontrollably in debt owes is now much, much, much more. We are going to have to pay much, much more in the long run. This is the most disgraceful thing that a government could possibly do because it is doing this knowing Two things. One, that this is a Hail Mary play to hopefully get their poll numbers turned around. But more than likely, more than likely, if they have five active brain cells to rub together among them, they know they're not going to win the next election even with this. So what they've done is they have thrown a time bomb into the next government or the government after that. We're going to pass the buck. We don't want to have to make the decisions, but the next government is suddenly, because three years down the road, the cost just over three years for this is $2.5 billion more. That's just in three years. So the next government's got a nice little time bomb when they go to do their budgeting and everything else. And Kathleen Wynne is out of, out of office and she's retired handsomely on her pension. And the rest of the liberals are sitting in the opposition seats, heckling at whoever makes up the government. The government that's in there now has this time bomb that's about to go off that they are going to owe a lot more money because the liberals refuse to make a hard decision as always, as always. And I'm not just pointing at the liberals in this one. We've talked about this on this show now for some time. It is time for politicians of every stripe, of every party, at every level to start making hard decisions and treat the money that they are using as if it was their own. Not as if it's monopoly play money just because it's not theirs and because they can just always add more taxes to the taxpayer and strip strip us of more of our money. That's what they do. No government, no politician or at least very, 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 very few want to make a hard decision, a hard financial decision, especially that might cost them some popularity and some votes. So what do they do? They find the way that we don't actually have to cut anything. We don't have to make any hard decisions and make any financially responsible moves. We'll just move it along, leave it for the next person to clean up the mess. And that's what they're doing. It's not solving any problem. There is not a single problem. There's not an iota of the problem that they are solving here. You could say, okay, they're keeping, they're allowing some people to keep their bills down, which is going to help them. Okay. All right. And for a few people who are desperately behind in their hydro, that will help them. It'll help all of us. I understand in the very short term, we'll all be really happy when we get our first bill and we go, Hey, it's less, but down the road, we're paying way, way, way more for this. That's not helping. That's not helping. That's hurting the province. Remember this province is already wildly in debt. We are, I think it's, we're the, what is it? The second biggest non-nation debtor in the world. 
I think only California, or maybe we've passed California now, owes more money as a non-country that owes money, as a province, as a state, whatever. We are massively in debt, and we just keep adding to it. Let's just keep throwing more money in the debt pile. Melvin's on the line. Melvin, how are you tonight? Uh, not too bad. What do you think about this? Are you are you relieved that your hydro bill is going down, or can you see the long-term picture and say, this is this is just more into the debt pile? I think this is one of the most horrible things ever done by an elected party. They are deliberately sabotaging the next government. Absolutely. 100%. 100%. And, and also, this should be against the law to deliberately do this. Because you're deliberately putting the next government into economic woes that they've never bargained for, never signed for, never been a party of, yet they're going to have to take it up. And this is deliberately sabotages the term limit that they may be have. Melvin, I think you're absolutely 100% right, I, and I appreciate the call. Thank you for calling in tonight. I, I, Melvin is 100% correct. Whoever gets in office next, and remember, Andrea Horvath has said that she's going to cut hydro by 30%. Okay. And the Tories say they're going to do something to cut. We don't really know exactly what. So the reality is that as we stand here right now, none of the parties, I would argue that none of the parties have a plan to really fix hydro. And the reason none of the parties have a plan to fix hydro, to be the other part of the story that we have to consider, is that the Kathleen Wynne government has made such a mess of this that it's not possible for anyone to say, oh, well, I've got a really simple solution to this. It's impossible. It's like someone burning down your house and then saying, well, I've got a can of paint. We can make it look nice. No, you can't do that. It's not a simple fix. And no government, no leader of a party can convince anybody that it's a simple fix. But having made this kind of colossal mess and then trying to trick people into believing they've somehow fixed the problem when all they've done is pass the buck, as Melvin points out very accurately, it's disgraceful. It is absolutely disgraceful. This government is trying to buy your votes. And I hope if you're listening, you're smart enough, you're astute enough, you're on the ball enough not to fall for this. By all means, accept the lower payments if you want in hydro when the the bill comes out. And I assume you will. Everybody will. There's nothing else. I mean, you don't really have a choice. You can't call them up and say, oh, by the way, I would prefer that I pay more now, but get let off. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that actually be a nice option if you could actually call a hotline, the government and say, yeah, I know my hydro bills are high, but I tell you what, I'll keep paying those rates now, provided I can be off this in X number of years, rather than living on it now in perpetuity and owing more and more and more taxes. And the worst part and this to me is the abs- this is the worst part about this whole thing because we talk about this all the time what we are doing now this is the absolute picture perfect definition of dumping our problems onto our kids we hear about Kathleen Wynne and the liberal government are leading the charge for cleaning up the environment and for global warming and all that kind of stuff. And why are they saying they're doing that? What's the overwhelming recurring line they say? We want to leave things better for our children. We want to leave a world that's better for our children. This plan they instituted today is dumping our problems directly 
onto our kids, directly onto our kids. Don't tell me now you're all concerned about the future and the next generation and making things better for your kids and your grandkids. We have simply right here passed our problems onto them and guaranteed that they're going to have more taxes and they're going to have more debt and they're going to have more things to deal with down the road. Dave joins me on the line tonight. Dave, how are you? Hey, not too bad. How are you doing tonight? I'm good. What do you think about this plan? Uh, it's absolutely atrocious. Um, you know, every province, a state, doesn't matter what it is, um, needs to be treated like a business. You've got money coming in and you got money going out. And I tell you, as a business owner, if I was running the province like Kathleen Wynne is, you would have been fired a long time ago. No, you, you, well, maybe, but you know what else you probably would have been, Dave? You would have been bankrupt and out of business because you're so well, far in debt. You would have had to claim bankruptcy. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And it's absolutely atrocious how the government feels that they can just liberalize money. Here you go, here you go, here you go with no repercussions. Do you feel, i got to let you go, Dave, but do you yep. feel that this effort today was about saving you money on your bill or about buying your vote? No, it's perception. It's buying your vote. It's perception. They're not telling the whole story, and thankfully you are, uh, to the listeners. Um, it, it's just perception. It's what people want to hear, and they hear it, and then they think it's great. Dave? And it's just it's cloud of smoke. Appreciate the call, Dave. Thanks. All right, thanks. Let's, uh, let's go to John. John, how are you tonight? Good, you? I'm good. What do you think about this plan? Uh, just first, your previous caller, government's not a business, and if it was ever run like a business... When you got recessions and stuff like that, we would have gone bankrupt a hundred years ago. Um, it's hard to put them in the same biz- same category as a business because of what they cover. But hydro obviously is an essential service. I think the privatization was the wrong move. Uh, but the problem is now is what do you do? Do you either cut the rates so everyone can pay for their hydro now, or do you raise it now and then it's okay for the future? Either way, you're screwed. So this has been building up. I believe there was an article, I think it was a Star or the Globe, dating this back to the 70s when they were rebuilding, I think it was one of the, the nuclear power plants, that it was all done wrong. And it's been pushed since the 70s that, is, that hydro rates, infrastructure is pushed back, pushed back, pushed back. And now it's actually hit the top. And this is where we're all in trouble. So what, what would you suggest? Well, let's be realistic. When you're starting to get four, five, six hundred dollar hydro rates, people can't afford it now. People, you, you know, they were talking about the, you know, the uh, the uh, real estate bubble. You know, if, if interest rates go up, people can't afford their mortgages. Well, these hydro rates are the new mortgage. There's people paying hydro rates that are more than their mortgage. So people are going to start losing things because what do you pay for? You can't pay for your house. You pay for your hydro. It gets to the point that something's got to give. The government's in has screwed it over and yes this is all about a re-election because if it wasn't about a re-election this would never have happened in the first place john john listen i appreciate the call i gotta run i got lots of people lined up here but i really appreciate the call thanks for the time all right cheers let's uh let's jump to fred fred how are you this evening not bad scott nice to hear from you you too fred what do you think about this are you buying this plan as a generous gesture by the government no, I'm not buying it at all. The fact is, seeing that we made a deal with Americans again, they always seem to get away with stuff for, from Canada. We just don't seem to. We always seem to. I don't know what. I don't know what the hell we won in War of uh, the 18 uh, when we fought the Americans years ago. You know, 1812. What the, What did we win? 
because we're always doing what the Americans want. They're getting free hydro pretty well here, which we're paying for extra. All the water is over here in Niagara Falls on our side, and uh, they're getting all the extra out of the out of the water. And the same thing now with our free trade coming up. I understand I heard Trump talk about the fact is they want to use American steel, not Canadian steel. There's another situation with this free trade deal. Like everything, everything American way. Same thing with our dollar, Canadian dollar. They say, oh, it's, cheap. it's better when it's lower for free trade. And trading. Like the metric system when Trudeau brought it in, the senior Trudeau. To me, it was no good because Americans never went metric. They stayed the, the original with the pound. Like everything American way, American way. What's wrong with Canadian it, way? It, it we doesn't, just don't seem to do anything here, Scott. Fred, it, it doesn't, uh, i got to let you go. Thanks for the call. It doesn't seem to help us very often, or at least all the time, when we make those deals. Got just a second left here. Frank, Frank, how are you this evening? Good, Scott. Listen, you mentioned something earlier that it's unpopular for politicians to do, you know, what they say. Well, Mike Harris did it. And he did do it, and he promised, and he did it. But you know what, Frank? It's an interesting point you bring up, and i got to go to break, but here's the thing. What? Every once in a while, we get a politician or a party who comes along and claims that they are going to clean everything up, and in fact, follows through with those things yes, to clean everything did. up. But what happens with every single one of those parties is after they've begun cleaning things up, it doesn't take long for people to realize, you know, fixing things is not nearly as fun or as exciting as building new shiny objects, and we get tired of those people and we vote them out of office very quickly. Right, well, but it wasn't his fault, right? People no, no. People enamored with, uh, they wanted more more free stuff for nothing. Uh, that's, uh, but I'm telling you, every time a government comes in of any political stripe that is going to clean things up and has yeah. to make some unpopular cuts, they don't last very long. But Frank, this I appreciate the call. Yeah, Thank you very okay. much. That, it, he's right. Frank is right. We do have... Now, you may have hated the Mike Harris government. That's fine. But what Mike Harris came in to do, what he claimed... Remember the common sense revolution? They were going to fix and clean up the mess that was there. And at the beginning... Even if you hated Mike Harris at the end, at the beginning, that was what they started to do. But they became any government that is going to cut things and is going to cut back on things and is not going to give as many things becomes unpopular very quickly. Unfortunately, every once in a while, we need one of those governments. Doesn't have to be his. Doesn't have to be conservative. It could be liberal, it could be NDP, but as long every once in a while we need one of those governments to come along that does the unpopular things, that cleans us up, kinda of hits the reset button. But they never last. Because nobody, nobody wants to keep a government around because they don't like it when things are being cut. They like it when people are being given stuff. That's the reality of the modern governmental world. It just is. Thanks for the calls. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. I don't even know where to go with this next segment because there are so many things going on right now. We've got P.K. Subban coming back to Montreal, people chanting his name, going crazy. We've got a great story that I'm going to share with you later about a local TV reporter in Houston. It's a sports thing. But my favorite story from today as we bring Bubba O'Neill from CHCH's Sports Line. No, he's not. He's from CHCH News. Boy, there's a brain cramp flashback. Um, I've said it so often that I've actually just popped out of there. From CHCH News and Sports. Uh, Jose Calderon, former Toronto Raptor, had the best day of any of us today, Bubba. He was with, um, with the Golden State Warriors losing a rather key component, key piece of their team. 
They signed Jose Calderon today to a $415,000 contract to fill in, but then two hours later decided, no, we found someone better, so they cut him. Jose Calderon today made $415,000 U.S. for doing absolutely nothing. How do you top that with your day today? You know, and it's funny because I'm sure he's made, you know, all the money that he's ever wanted in his life. Never that easily. Probably no, never that easily. But I'm I'm sure he must have been so excited to play with the likes of the Golden State Warriors, which would give him an opportunity at playing in the postseason and possibly even winning a championship. And I think at this stage of his career, you know, now into his well into his 30s, that, that that would have been the one thing that's missing from his resume. And to have that taken away from you in not even a day later, that one has to hurt a little bit too. Uh, you know, though, if I'm him, four hundred and fifteen thousand bucks for two hours of non-work. <laughs> if somebody, I will pass out my number live on the air. If there's an, an, an NBA general manager out there who wants to sign me for two hours for that kind of dough. Unfortunately, Scott, I think these guys think differently than we do. Again, they've made so much money over their career, especially in the NBA, that I think money is no issue at this point. You're probably right, but it's 450. I don't care who you are. 400. I mean, it'll be a paycheck. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure it'll look good in the bank. He'll buy some like platinum plated new Humvee or something to be able to drive to go. That was my two hours of work right there. Uh, Okay. Here is. The question I want to ask you today, why I wanted to bring you on, and I don't know if everybody's heard this story yet. Last year, a little before now, but in the, in the off season from baseball, it was Ross Atkins and specifically Mark Shapiro, the brain trust of the Toronto Blue Jays, who made a decision. They were not going to shower their ace, David Price, with globs of money. They were, and it was very unpopular. They were going to go with Jay Happ, who was a lot cheaper and let David Price walk away. And people went bananas. we got to have David Price. We need an ace. And they took the slings and arrows. Well, today, yesterday, I guess, but it also followed up today, David Price in Boston is having severe elbow pain and forearm pain and has been sent to James Andrews for an MRI. And people are talking about Tommy John surgery and David Price missing the year. Are Shapiro and Atkins geniuses, Bubba? You know, it's funny because the way I presented it, not to not answer your question, but I will, but is that you're feeling kind of melancholy as a Blue Jays fan there because I think I think all of us feel good about David Price. I mean, in that short span that he was here, he he looked like he was happy to be here. He did some incredible things. I mean, he was part of a renaissance of the Blue Jays, quite honestly. But now he pitches for the enemy on a team that many believe will be the American League East champions. And... I mean, at the cost of the $217 million in the long-term contract, I think Shapiro was wise not to sign, you know, David Price, as good as he has been over his career. And also, I will say, as durable as he's been over his career. He's never been hurt, Scott, and now he's 31 years old. It does make me... I've always been nervous, and, I, and I'm, not, I'm not jumping on the, uh, oh, look, they were a right bandwagon. I've always been nervous about really long-term contracts for pitchers because in the modern game of baseball, there are very few finesse pitchers. There are very few Greg Maddoxes or Tom Glavins who can throw not very hard and nibble around, or Marco Estradas, quite frankly, who can nibble around and get guys out. Almost everybody throws really hard, and that is a recipe for injury. So on that front... 
it seems like they made the right decision. I, I still think if it turns out that it, if the David Price falls apart, it, it's a bit of luck involved as well. But give him credit, I guess. Give him credit for making a smart decision. And you're right. I mean, and I, you almost wonder, was this eventually going to happen? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a guy, again, he's never been hurt. The guy is, in terms of, uh, he goes out and delivers, and he delivers his, his, you know, his 35, his 30 to 35 starts every single season and gets the job done. Look at his, in, in terms of his innings pitch, he's in that zone of 200 innings every single year. Last year went 230, which led the American League. Um, so this is a guy that it, it, you can call the ace, you can call the stopper, the guy you're going to lean on that you know is going to probably give you six to seven innings, maybe even eight every single outing. And I don't know if they, you know, this is maybe where these long-term sabermetrics and the new ways of looking and scouting players came into the the thought of a Shapiro and Atkins and saying this guy's going to break down at some point. Um, and, yeah. and and I guess they were right. Well, they are not, those two guys, David Price is, but Shapiro and Atkins, by and large, in Blue Jay land, are not the two most popular guys in the world. There's a lot of Blue Jay fans that are very cynical and suspicious and down on them. But you know what? As much as they, they also, they can make you feel that way a little because they they don't come across all warm and fuzzy all the time. I got to tell you. If David Price blows up the way Jay Happ pitched last year with a few of the other moves, they have made some savvy moves for this team. It, it was a definitely it was a great signing, and it all worked out. And, and who would have ever thought Jay Happ, especially, and if Jay Happ had come here for the first time and he, he won twenty one games, we would we, we would go crazy. But I think we went even more than crazy because Jay Happ was a Blue Jay before. And he was the kind of guy that just never, I mean, it was tough for him to get six innings out of him on an, on an outing. He was also the slowest pitcher in terms of taking his time and throwing, shaking off the pitcher, you know, in terms of his, his length of his starts. He was at times very annoying, really, to watch. Uh, it's like and, watching Bernhard Longer golf. Oh, it was awful. It was painful, quite honestly. But this guy came up with a whole new delivery, slight, uh, slight changes to his delivery, a different approach, and for whatever reason, because you just never know about chemistry, him and Russell Martin just really worked very, very well together. Um, will we? Should we expect 21 games out of Jay Happ this year? I think that's uh, that's really a, a high expectation. But I think anything after 15 would be more than welcome. All right, I want to switch tack because we got a few minutes left here, and I want to ask you about one more thing. Now, I don't know how many people listening are huge UFC fans. <laughs> doesn't really matter whether you are or not because this is a broader issue than the UFC. But the UFC, which is the Ultimate Fighting Championship, love it or hate it, their biggest star walked away from the sport probably three years ago, four years ago. It was a Canadian guy, George St. Pierre. He is coming back now. He's 35 years old. He is coming back. And I got to ask you this, whether it's boxing, whether it's mixed martial arts, whatever it is, why is it that retired fighters, especially fighters, retired fighters cannot walk away from their sport? The one sport where you possibly will suffer the most damage by coming back and being horrible. Why can fighters not retire and stay retired? Now, I I, I will say this. I don't think George St. Pierre ever said the word retired. I think he was more of, I had to leave the sport for a little while. And he always left the door open for a return. So I think 
maybe that's why I think there was always the thought that he would come back at some point. But it's been a long time for, in fighting long, I, in I, fighting yeah, time. I, when when he did, made that announcement after he won his last fight, and I mean, I think we all thought that it was going to be a year that he was going to take a year off, basically. Uh, he said there were some things he had to get right, whether they were personal, whether they were home, maybe they were health-related. We'll never really know unless he opens up and tells us. But for it to be three years and now 35 years old, hey, I will say this about George St. Pierre. I mean, one of the finest specimens ever seen in that sport. Um, not a real knockout guy, but technically as sound as we've ever seen. And some say the greatest champion in UFC history. But he's 35 years old right now. and But go down the list and, and leave UFC for a second. Leave mixed martial arts for a second. Muhammad Ali, Larry Holmes, Trevor Burbick. Uh, uh, all, everybody. Everybody. They walk away, and whether it's officially retired or just I'm away for a long time, they all get Sugar Ray Leonard. They all get dragged back into the ring or the cage and almost exclusively, almost in every case, stink. And get pounded on and get hurt. And I just, I can't under, is, is it just money? Is there so much money in this sport, oh, in any that, kind of God, pugilistic God, sport? That. It's, a, it's the fame, it's the attention. It's hearing it's hearing 20,000 people going, especially at George St. Pierre, who was, let's be honest, there was a time, uh, I'm not going to put him in Gretzky category, but I think it was fair to say that he was in the top two or three in terms of most popular Canadian athletes in, in his heyday. Well, the very and, first and UFC card in Toronto, when they sold out Rogers Centre, he was the reason. He was the headliner and he was the star there. of the show. Yeah, And he was the reason that 58,000 people showed up. You know, and, and he would go on to have other cards. I remember that one in Montreal. I mean, I think that's why the UFC fell in love, or at least... The UFC fell in love with having uh, bouts outside of the United States, um, and I and I ever since he left the sport, I think you would know this as well too. Ever since GSP left the sport, those the attendance of those fights in Montreal and uh, and, and Toronto just haven't been as well at, uh, attended. But I think there's a reason. That sounds like he's going to fight that first fight in Las Vegas, but it sounds like his package or his contract is going to be a four or five four or five fight deal. You have to believe that maybe one or maybe even two will be fought in Canada. I and, just and I, and I think mm, the place will be sold out. It, well, it will be. I just can't understand how you know if you're a golfer, and I'm not taking anything away from golfers, but if you're a golfer and you can try and make a comeback, there is little to no risk of severe bodily injury to you if you make a comeback. You might embarrass yourself, right? But here. If he's not good, and he's fighting a decent guy, he's fighting Michael Bisping, who's a good fighter. If he's not good, he can be seriously injured in this. And and boxers, the same thing. Anybody who is in a fighting sport, I just don't understand. And I know you're, the points you all made are all correct, but somewhere in the back of your mind, do you not have to say, I'm at least smart enough to say, when I'm done, I'm done. And you know, ring rust or cage rust is a big thing. He's going to come back, and he is going to risk getting pounded on. Sure, but like I said, the lure, the challenge, the crowd, the money, the adulation, maybe even the women for some, that attention, you can, I mean, there is something built into an athlete, a professional athlete, that those things charge them. And once you leave and, and you don't get that again, being at home, and uh, I mean, again, I, I, I'm not going to say this because I know it, but I've read it enough from athletes and heard it vocally from athletes. 
once you leave that arena of, of attention, you just don't get it anywhere else. Yeah. And if you're still yeah. and if you're still young enough to maybe give it a go, and like I said, when he walked away from the sport, he never said he was going to retire. He did say he was going to walk away, and perhaps I'm I'm just going to even go this far. You and I have discussed that maybe the UFC isn't quite as big as it was maybe three or four years ago. Here's a guy that can bring that sport all the way back, and maybe there was a little pressure from the UFC to say, hey, if you come back, we're going to make life real good for you. Well, there may have been a little money. All right, we've got a minute or two left. I've got to ask you this question. You're a TV guy. You do stuff all the time. I, want, I don't know if you heard this story today. This is one of my favorite stories of the day. A reporter in Fox in Houston with Fox 26 is doing a streeter. I think people know what a streeter is. You go around and you just talk to the common folk about some topic. Uh, they were asking about road rage in Houston. Did you hear this story today? No. Uh, they went up to this very built, very muscular, very fit guy who's wearing a tank top who just looks like he could be a tank and asked this guy, quite innocently what his thoughts are on road rage and then he asked the person's name you know what the person's name was adrian peterson what running back for minnesota Vikings, or was the running the running back uh it was after he asked this guy his name he had no idea who he was and, he go, and there's a long pause and he goes like as in the adrian peterson yep that's me Made for the most awkward streeter of all time that this reporter did not realize who he was talking to. What I don't get, why would a reporter, honestly, why would most people know the guy's name but not know him to see him? That's what I don't get. I would have thought you would have recognized him but maybe not known who he was. Well, I guess it's... Luke says the helmet, I suppose, but still. Yeah, with the helmet and the the uniform on, I guess, I mean, because that is true. There are, I will say this, you know, as, as, you know, lucky enough to be in locker rooms and and talk to these guys. Sometimes when you see them in their civvies, you're you're not quite sure, is that who I think it is? But if you saw, when you see the picture, there's a picture online, when you see Adrian Peterson in a tank top... <laughs> this is not your average guy who's just walking along who, you know, he's this now I want to point out the story points out this has happened once before there was a local news station in Washington DC that was doing a streeter about the vast amount of snow that was falling and the reporter completely obliviously went up to a guy and asked him what he thought and he said, "Well, we're from Russia, so we always have that kind of stuff." It was Alex Ovechkin. Oh. Wow. I think it's time for guys doing streeters to brush up on their celebrity or something. I don't know why. You would never do that. No, of course not. But you know what? We're sports guys. You know that? I mean, and every once in a while, I run into someone, whether it be a male or a female, and they have no time, love, appreciation for anyone in sports, let alone sports at all, and the personality. So maybe this guy just had no clue. But he knew the name. That's what I, anyway, we got. <laughs> Appreciate the time tonight, Bubba. Thanks for doing this as always. Always a pleasure, Scott. That is uh, Bubba O'Neill from CHCH News. You can watch him tonight on the news and weather and sports, and he does everything there now. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Do you remember the story from years ago about the woman in the States. She was an elderly woman who burned herself with McDonald's coffee. I'm sure you remember that, right? It was, it was cited. We were talking about this the other day. It was cited as the example of frivolous lawsuits of scurrilous litigation, all the kind of stuff. Cause she sued McDonald's cause she burned herself on their super hot coffee and she won a huge decision. 
mil, mil, I don't remember what the number was, but millions of dollars she won. And everybody said, wait a second, hold on a second. This is just proof that the world is, is crazy, that the legal system is nuts. She burned herself. She spilled the coffee on herself. Why is McDonald's responsible for that? Well, a documentary was later made that you didn't have to agree with her, but at least it sort of shed some light on some of the issues that surrounded this, why a jury might have decided McDonald's was responsible. There was a similar one a while back about a guy who was standing in a phone booth on a street corner in the States and a car careened out of control and smashed into the mail or into the phone booth. And I can't remember if the man was killed or I suspect he was probably just seriously injured and he sued and he won a massive lawsuit and there was outrage because he didn't sue the driver. Well, he might've, but ultimately who he ended up suing and winning the massive amount from was from the phone company. He was in a phone booth that was on a street corner. The car hit the phone booth and he sued the phone company and he won and people went bananas. Well, turns out that what we didn't know, or most of us didn't know, because that's an easy one to get totally bent out of shape about. What we didn't know was that there had been numerous accidents into that phone booth in recent years beforehand, that apparently the phone company did or should have known that that phone booth was in a dangerous spot. And on the particular day in question, the door to the phone booth was jammed shut so he couldn't get out to escape this car that was coming towards him. So we don't always know all the details of these cases. We hear surface stuff, but we don't always know. Which brings me to what I wanted to talk about tonight. Because there is a lawsuit that is being filed. At least it it sounds like it's going to be a lawsuit, I guess. The guy says he's going to go after the casino. I I, I shouldn't say it's a lawsuit. He's going to go after the casino. 82-year-old guy is gambling at the Mohawk racetrack just outside Milton. And he's on the slot machines and he pulls and wins 10 grand. Wins $10,000. That's, um, that's a good thing. But when he goes to collect it, the casino says, no, we're not paying you the $10,000. We have no intention of paying you the $10,000. So of course he's very upset about this because he won. And the question you would ask then I expect, or at least I would think you would ask is, well, what is the casino? What is the casino saying is the reason why it won't pay. What's the, what's the reason that they have cited that they won't hand over the money? Well, here it is. 17 years ago, this gentleman, who again is now 82, 17 years ago, he was, uh, by his own admission in the news stories that I've been reading, he felt he was spending too much. He was getting to have a problem with gambling. So he signed a self-exclude document from Ontario's gaming facilities. He signed a piece of paper that says, do not allow me to gamble in your facilities. These things are available. These things are out there. Usually for people who are having gambling problems, it's a way of self-control. If you can't have self-control, I'm going to sign this. So the people at the casinos will not let me come in. This is a, it's a protective, it's a protective thing. I'm going to make sure that you aren't, if I can't control myself, I'm going to get some help from you to make sure that I can 
do this. Everyone understands that, right? So question is, should they have paid him the $10,000? What do you think? He signed a document that said, do not let me gamble. But then he went anyway and gambled. And so they say, no, you signed a document. We're not going to pay you. A lot of people would say, well, wait, he signed it. So therefore, you know what? He signed it. Too bad, so sad. That was his choice and uh, he shouldn't have been in there. Here's the twist. And I want to hear from you what what you think, even after the twist. Because you may not agree with the twist. You may think the twist is not a twist. Here's the twist. He says that eight years ago he suffered a brain injury, had brain surgery, and has no recollection of ever signing that document. He's a widow, widower now. He says he has no recollection of ever signing that document. He doesn't remember doing it. And therefore, he went to the casino not realizing that he had asked them to prevent him from going in there. So, you are the casino. Should you be paying this guy his money? Yes or no? He signed a document saying, don't let me gamble, but forgot that he signed it because he had an injury that affected his memory. Should he get his $10,000? Yes or no? 905-645-3221 or star 9900. What should happen to this guy and his money? He won the thing fair and square. He wasn't cheating. He put money in the slot machine. He won the 10000 bucks, but he had asked them to prevent him and there are are apparently new policies in place in this province that says if you've signed something like that, the the casinos are not supposed to pay you. It's a deterrent effect to help people who have gambling problems. Ideally, that's, or ultimately that's what it's for. Should he get his money or should he not get his money? Frank, how are you tonight? I'm quite quite well, thanks. Uh, So what do you uh, think? Should he get his money or did he sign this document? And is the casino correct to say, no, we're we're trying to protect you. And even though you pulled the machine, uh, we were a little late, but we can't give you that dough. Well, I think it goes like this. Did he sign an admission at the the start of all this that he was going to um, be alleviated from gambling subject to anything else? or, Or is it just a verbal agreement? No, it was a document that he signed that would prevent him from, it's a self-exclusion document that would prevent him uh, or supposedly prevent him from coming into the casinos. It was supposed to, they were supposed to basically stop him from coming in or prevent him from gambling. Okay. So now he's lost his memory. He doesn't, he doesn't recall it. Right. That's the tricky part about this. Yeah. But what happens when they put his signature in front of him? So what, so you're saying he did sign it, even though he doesn't remember, he did sign it, therefore the casino should not pay him the money. Right. Like, I, I don't know if that's as, as clean as that, uh, Scott, but I think if he had made it, uh, put a signature down and he signs his name the same way, uh, then he's obligated to uh, stand behind his signature. Frank, yeah, well, Frank, listen, I want your opinion. That's what you think. I appreciate well, that's the, what I think. Thanks. I, mean, for, uh, I don't want to take anything away from anybody, but if he made a, a, an absolute assertion that he was going to be uh, a hold to his word, uh, and then actually he doesn't remember it, well, that's too bad. I mean, anything in, in, in this world, you could, you know, how do they know that he forgot? You know, let's not get into that. Sure, the Frank. is his signature there, right? Frank, I appreciate the call. Thank you for Thank your you. input. Appreciate it. Uh, let's go to Fred here. Fred, how are you? How you doing? I'm yeah. good. So what do you think? Should he, should he no, be helped? I don't think he should get the money 
because he figures, well, eight years has gone by, everybody forgot. Well, nobody forgot. I'll give you an example. It was in the news uh, a while back, CHCH, a gentleman tried to go over to the States, and seeing that Trump was checking into people's past, this young kid uh, had, a, had did something way back when he was 17 years old, and they brought it up now, and he can't go across the border. So I figure this guy shouldn't got the money from the casino. Fred, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. So there's two votes for him not getting the money because he signed a document, and the document says that I don't want to be allowed to come in here and gamble. And let me read, by the way, uh, what the OLG, they have this, um, again, this is a policy from the Ontario Lottery and Gaming Commission. Sorry, I just had to find the quote here. Uh, it introduced last September, Ontario Lottery and Gaming introduced a new rule intended to help problem gamblers. Quote, this is from the, the commission. As part of our support of a self-excluders commitment to stop gambling, self-included individuals are not permitted to win prizes. So there you go. There's the, there's the reason. There's the outline. Now, let me throw one more wrinkle into this thing. Let me just give you one more wrinkle. The guy who won this prize, who has signed the, the, and I don't think he's disputing that he signed this. He just says he forgot that he signed this. But the guy who signed this, by his version of this story, this is not his first time back in a casino. Over the last 17 years, by his version of the story, he has been to the casino many times. They've never stopped them, largely because he's never won a large sum of money. But here's the here's where I think this thing gets really difficult. I agree with what Frank and Fred said with the information that we had up to that point. And in some cases, I think, yeah, you've signed this. It's a document. It's a contract of sorts. You're held to that. But here's the thing. If, in fact, he signed this document, which he's not disputing, and the document says the Ontario... Gaming Commission, Lottery and Gaming Commission will not pay you a prize because you're ineligible, because you're not allowed to be in our casino, essentially, and gamble. If they're going to hold to the idea that they shouldn't pay him the prize, should they not then say, well, he was not, if we're not going to pay it out, he's not supposed to be in the casino, we should repay him every dime that he's lost in the casino over the last number of years. If he's not allowed to be here, and we're saying we can't pay him, should they not give him his money back? Because all that money, all the money they took from him, they don't seem to have a problem with. Seems that they're okay with the losses that he incurred, all those times that he put 10 or 20 bucks or whatever he did onto a table or put money into the slot machine. There's no suggestion here that they're saying all that stuff should be reimbursed to him because... He signed this document that he wasn't supposed to be here, so therefore we should not have let him be here. Therefore, he can't win, but it's our mistake that he was here, so we're going to reimburse him all the money that he lost. See, that to me, you don't want to pay him what what he won? That's fine. But if it's okay for you to not pay him because the document said he shouldn't have been in the casino, it should also be the other way. That you should repay him every dime that he lost in your casino over the last eight years or whatever number of years it is, you should be repaying him. And that may be way more than $10,000. I don't know. Chris is on the line. Chris, how are you? Good, good. What I do you think, think about this? I think he should get his money. I think he should get his money, and I see a lawsuit coming. 
Well, I, I definitely see the second part happening. Yes, you're right. The minute they allowed them to gamble, did they not break a contract? That's a really... See, that's that to me is the really interesting part. If he said, don't let me in here, and they were willing to take his money as long as he kept losing, losing. why yeah. then does the contract only kick in when he wins? Exactly. So I'm sitting listening to you. I actually had to pull over on the side of the road to call you because I'm driving, and I pulled into a parking lot because I thought, no, all contracts are both ways. And if they allowed him to gamble, they did not do their job in stopping him. So therefore, in my opinion, the contract, like any other contract, if you don't do what you say you're going to do, the contract's null and void. Chris, I appreciate the call. Drive on. Thanks very much. Thanks. Bye-bye. See... There's always these stories, these these twisty stories. There's always something, well, the good ones anyway. There's always something that makes you go, huh, I was pretty sure I felt some way about this. And, I, and look, Fred and Frank, who called earlier, when I was first noticing this story, I thought exactly what they felt. I felt exactly the same way they did. He signed a contract. He said, don't let me in here. And he chose, even if he forgot, he chose to not be eligible. But then as I learn, and again, going only by what he is saying, that he has been to the casino a number of times, many times perhaps, I I start thinking if the casino is willing to take his money, it seems pretty, I don't know what the word is, pretty cheap to say as soon as they lose some of their money, that they don't want to pay it. We'll take your money. We'll take all your money. Come in here with all kinds of money. Lose all the money you want. That's fine. We'll take your money. But you win. Oh, I'm sorry. We have a deal. We can't give you money. That doesn't sound right to me. Linda's on the line. Linda, how are you? Hi, I'm fine. What do you think about this? Well, I have a question first because it hasn't come up. If they're having people sign these contracts, what is the casinos doing to stop them from coming in? Are they doing anything? Thank you for asking, because I should have mentioned that. It's a great point. Let me tell you what the story says. Um, and I'm reading directly, by the way, from the uh, CTV News website. So this is what they've written about it. Uh, gaming sites have implemented... Uh, oh, wait, let me back up. According to the OLG's PlaySmart website, self-exclusion can apply to gaming sites, including casinos, charitable bingo, and gaming and internet gaming. Gaming sites have implemented facial recognition technology to help identify anyone enrolled in gaming. Uh, self-exclusion who attempts to re-enter a gaming site by comparing their facial images from site security cameras. So as I understand it, they've now got technology that should identify you as you're coming in and say, wait, wait, no, no, no. Uh, you know, Linda, you're, uh, you're on the list, so we can't let you into the building. It doesn't say and I don't know the answer, it doesn't say then how he was able to get into the casino and not be noticed until he won. Yeah, because I think the casino's on the hook for for answering how did he, how was he gambling. What about the idea behind this whole thing, that if it was okay for him to give his money to the casino, why was it okay for him to be paying them, but not for them to pay him? Yeah, oh no, I agree with that. I, as a matter of fact, though, I don't believe in the casino issue because it's all gambling and we shouldn't even have it. So that, tells you, that tells you how old I am. No, that's, you know, there's lots of people who feel that way. There's lots of people who feel the way that this whole thing only happens because they disagree and it gets people in trouble. So no, you're, you're fully entitled to have that view. Linda, I appreciate the call. Thanks okay. so much. Um, yeah. You know what? Fascinating story. Really interesting story because Chris, who called just a moment ago, look, we all know that Chris is right. 
We all know Chris is right. There will, unless there's some sort of settlement, there will be a lawsuit in this. He's not going to, do you think he, do you really think a guy's going to walk away from 10 grand? Just as I go, I got to remember there was a, I can't remember where this was. I, I don't think it was in Ontario, but I could be wrong. But a number of years ago, there was a sports betting thing like ProLine. Again, I don't think it was in Ontario, so I don't think it was ProLine, but you get the idea. It's like ProLine where you choose games and you bet on a certain number of games. And if you get them all right, you win. And the odds are depending on how big are the upsets that you're wagering on that kind of thing. The lottery group commission, gambling house, casino, whatever, put put the closing time to put down your bets for British soccer, but they put the wrong time down. So you were able to wager on the soccer games by a mistake of the lottery group until after the games were over. So some, a few people noticed this and said, wait a second, the game starts at one our time. It says we have to be done by one their time, which is much, much later, whatever the time was. And they went and bet vast amounts of money on all the games, knowing the outcome of the game. It was a technical administrative clerical error, but they won and they won a lot of money. And then the casino or the whatever said, no, that was a mistake. We're not paying. Well, in the end, they had to pay. Got time for one, one very fast call here. Dan, how are you? Good. How are you today? I'm good. We got about 30 seconds. So what do you think about this? Well, unless they use uh, fingerprinting or facial recognition, how else are they going to keep the guy out? Well, and they say they have this facial recognition, so I don't understand why he was in there if that was the case. I, I, and I'll need more, you know, we'll need to have more details of this thing, but they say that exists now. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, I didn't realize that it was. I go to the casino quite a bit, and I, don't, I haven't realized that. Well, look around, look around next time. You're probably on candid camera. Dan, I appreciate the call. Thank you. True enough. Thank you. Uh, we have to go to a break. Very interesting story. You can read all about it. It's all over the papers. It's all over, uh, it's all over everywhere. It's a really interesting one because there's a lot of different angles and twists and turns in that one. The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900, AM 900 CHML.